Hello everyone, this is episode 43 of Infraction, our true crime podcast. I'm Nadia. And I'm Sally. Today's episode is set in rugby in Warwickshire, here in England, and the woman at the centre of our case is Gemma Hayter. Gemma was born on the 13th of September 1982, and she was welcomed into the family by her two older siblings, 10-year-old Nikki and 7-year-old Neil. Gemma was a happy little girl growing up, but having raised two children already, Gemma's mother realised that she was developing differently to her siblings. Gemma was in her own little world. She was a happy child, but she was needy. As she got older, her behaviour became even more challenging. Nikki, her older sister, described Gemma as being oblivious to the chaos she was causing. She never meant any harm, but her behaviour became more and more challenging, and so her mother took her to the doctors. The doctors told the Hater family that Gemma had, quote, behavioural problems, but they never really did any further investigation into what could be causing these behavioural issues. As she got older and became more sociable, it was clear to her family that Gemma was overly friendly with people. She didn't believe there was any bad in the world and she wanted to be friends with everyone, even the students who bullied her at school. She tried so hard to make friends with other children at her school, but they all ignored her because she was different. By the time Gemma reached the age of 13, her looks and body changed even more. She stopped growing at the height of 4 foot 11 inches, so that's just under 1.5 metres tall, and she began to rapidly put weight on. Her mother took her back to the doctors and they revealed that, at the age of 13, Gemma was going through the menopause. Oh my god. Mm. This isolated Gemma even more from her peers at school, and even strangers in the street would stare and make comments about her. Gemma desperately desired friendship. She could see interpersonal relationships happening all around her, but nobody wanted to be her friend, simply because she looked different. At 19 years old, a special residential college in North Wales opened its doors to Gemma. For the first time ever, Gemma spent time away from home as she boarded at this college in North Wales. This was amazing for her, and for the first time, she was surrounded by people who also had differences like her. She learned how to cook and look after herself, and she learned how to clean, and she formed friendships with others. Gemma's mother said that Gemma really excelled during the two years she spent at this college. She developed the necessary skills to interact with other people and she became a really confident young woman. At the end of the two years at college, Gemma had the option to stay for a third year if she wanted. By this time, Gemma was in her early 20s and she decided that she wanted to move back to Warwickshire where her family was and get herself a place of her own to try and lead a more independent lifestyle. Her mother and siblings were slightly disappointed by this, they felt that Gemma was doing so well at college and they thought that another year there would have resulted in her excelling even more. But they did understand her desire to live independently. A lot of the other students at the college were younger than her and her family agreed that maybe Gemma should take the skills she'd learned and put them into trying to create an independent life for herself. Yeah, and I think that is the point of these places as well, isn't it? Like, residential colleges are different from day colleges or sixth form colleges and that in addition to like lessons um like that academic typically they they do have more than that sort of like they might the students might live in flats um that have like self-contained kitchens and stuff where they do learn to cook and and live independently so I can understand I think that's surely should be like a hallmark of the college having been a success if Gemma felt that actually she wanted to like foster that independence even more so 
Oh, absolutely. I think I think that's completely correct. I think that's true. Um, I think for her family, they had this very, it was like the balance of should she stay for another year and excel even more or should she mm. try and live her own independent lifestyle? Yeah, and I guess nerve wracking. Yeah, I think it was really nerve wracking for them because she'd excelled so much in the two years, you know, she'd gone from being, having no independence whatsoever to actually obviously at this college really succeeding. But then obviously on the flip side of that, she was so much older than the other students there. And I think if, you know, considering the fact that Gemma wanted to be independent for herself, I think they did feel like, okay, well, probably is the right choice and this is what she actually wants. Mm. So she started renting a flat in rugby and she funded it with the council's help and by using some of the disability allowance she received from the government. Unfortunately, though, Gemma began to lose the confidence she had developed during her time at the college in North Mm. Wales. Gemma's family tried to visit her, but she always told them to meet her outside the flat and she never let them in. Presumably in an attempt to show her family that she was okay, Gemma didn't open up to them about the struggles she was having. Some days she didn't eat because she forgot to buy food or because there wasn't any clean crockery for her to use. She didn't want to worry her family, however, and she wanted to show them that she was okay and that living by herself was a good thing. Then things turned around for Gemma. She met a friend called Chantelle Booth. Chantelle was about five years younger than Gemma, but her family didn't find this odd considering that Gemma had a younger mental age than most women in their mid-twenties. Gemma and Chantelle did all the things best friends did. They went to pub gardens and they met for coffee and they hung out and watched films together and they went out drinking as well. This was amazing for Gemma's family to see. It was wonderful that she had formed such a quote-unquote normal friendship with someone and that she could experience all the joys that friendship brings. She had a confidant in Chantelle, someone she could laugh with and also share her secrets with, someone she could gossip with and someone who introduced her to even more people and friends. Then, over time, things started to change and Gemma's family began to feel wary about Chantelle and her motives for her friendship with Gemma. Mm. They realised that Chantelle was taking money from Gemma. I kind of felt like you were going to say that and it just makes you feel sad straight away, doesn't it? Because it's like, why is it that your gut instinct feels that? That actually, like, my mind just jumped to the fact that she was probably taking advantage of someone mm-hmm. like more vulnerable than her and I just think it's like, sad that Oh, it's just horrible that that's the way it is. Yeah. Oh, what do you mean? Like when you heard that she made a friend, your mind instantly thought. Yeah. And I think it's just because unfortunately, like it shouldn't be like, it's just awful that there are people in the world who take advantage of more vulnerable people. Mm, Like, Why is that a thing that's common enough that meant I instantly thought that was going to be the case? Yeah. Yeah. It's harrowing. Yeah. It's really, really horrible. And the thing with this money situation was that Gemma was technically giving her the money. Chantelle wasn't stealing it, but it happened incredibly frequently. And the Hater family felt that Chantelle was using Gemma. It was difficult for them to intervene in this, though, because it was Gemma's money. So she could spend it however she wanted. Of course, though, her family were worried. They knew that Gemma would do anything to help her friend out. And she wouldn't know where the line was between helping a friend out and being taken advantage of. However, her family kind of came to the decision that it was more important for Gemma to have friendships than it was to be concerned about how that friendship might be exploiting her or benefiting her friends more than it was benefiting her. On Saturday the 7th of August 2010, Gemma was visiting her mum at her house before heading out into Rugby Town Centre with Chantelle and some other friends. Gemma told her mum she was going out for some drinks with the group and that she'd speak to her soon. Two days later, on the 9th of August 2010, Sue, Gemma's mother, 
got a phone call from the police. Detective James Essex told Sue that a jogger out on his early morning run had found a body down by the disused railway line and the police believed that the body was that of Gemma Hater. The detective went to Sue's home and told Sue, Neil and Nikki that Gemma had been found naked and was lying face down. Her feet had been on the path but her head had been in the undergrowth. They said they were investigating her death as a homicide because she had been severely beaten. The family were asked to accompany the police to the morgue to formally identify Gemma. Sue and Nikki went into the room to make the ID, but Neil said that he couldn't do it. He couldn't bear to see his younger sister lying there dead, and so he stayed outside. Sue said that when she saw her daughter's face, she felt disgusted and sick to her stomach. She said that it looked as if Gemma's face had been used as target practice. Her entire face was black from where she'd been so severely beaten. The medical examiner also revealed that Gemma had been stabbed as well. The police immediately started looking through the CCTV footage from the night before Gemma's body was found. They found an enormous amount of footage that showed Gemma and Chantelle and four other people. The other people in the footage were identified as being Duncan Edwards, Joe Boyer, Daniel Newstead and Jessica Linus. The footage showed the males in the group pushing Gemma and hitting her, while Chantelle looked on and laughed. What? Where were they? This is in the town centre? Mm-hmm, kind of outside like a pub. God, who, who, like, who does that in, like, in public? Yeah, well, it's, it's quite clear from the footage, and there's a lot of footage like this um, from you know other times and other nights out and stuff, not specifically just the one before Gemma was killed. Um, mm. And in all of them, they're just using her as like a yeah a form of entertainment really just like something fun for them to like push around it's actually horrible the ccdv footage is disgusting but what to be kind honest. of monsters like who's that fun for just oh makes me want to cry yeah uh, yeah i did <laughs> when i was researching this is all because it is awful like it's just horrific and it gets worse so like i said the police went back and they found more footage from the night Gemma had last seen her mum so um, that was the night that she'd gone out for drinks with Chantelle and some others, and that was two days before her body was found. This footage showed the same group of five, and in this footage they were also pushing Gemma and quite clearly using her as a source of entertainment for themselves. In the video from this night, Chantelle grabbed Gemma's arms and she dragged her down the street away from the group of friends, and Duncan followed them both down the road as well. It's unclear where they went, but the rest of the group, Daniel, Jessica and Joe, didn't follow them. An hour after this, the group is seen on another CCTV camera in the area, and this time it is clear that Chantelle is the one perpetrating the abuse. So in the footage, you can see Chantelle pushing Gemma. She looks like she's shouting at her, and Gemma just stands there and kind of takes it, and then Chantelle walks off, and Gemma is seen standing in the street alone. For the police, this was enough probable cause to arrest the group of five, and four days after Gemma's body was found, her five friends were arrested. The police told the Hater family that they had arrested five individuals in connection with Gemma's murder. The family were told that they'd arrested Duncan Edwards, Joe Boyer and his girlfriend Jessica Linus, and Daniel Newstead and his girlfriend Chantelle Booth. At the mention of Chantelle's name, the family were completely shocked. Up until that moment, they had not once suspected Gemma to have known her killer. They truly believed that she had just been misled by a stranger. 
Gemma was so friendly and never had her guard up around strangers, so they had been convinced that she'd just been too friendly with someone who had taken advantage of her. They truly could not believe that it had been Chantel and her friends who had attacked and murdered her in such a horrifically aggressive way. In custody, all five defendants showed no remorse. They joked around and continuously blamed each other for what had happened. What, so they actually all admitted it? No, so none of them took kind of any responsibility for what happened to Gemma. They, but they acknowledged as a group they were linked to it. Yeah, so they acknowledged that they knew of it, but they said, mm, it wasn't me who did it, it was like they all blamed each other, because so there were five of them. Um, yeah, so they literally all blamed each other. That has really shocked me, I just thought they would completely deny it. Well, some of them did, and the thing, the thing with that denial um, was that the police kind of said to them, well, that argument doesn't hold up, because they took the CCTV footage... Um, from that night that Gemma had been murdered and there is a really harrowing scene where where there's the five of them plus Gemma walking towards the disused railway track and about an hour or so later the five of them walk back and Gemma's obviously not with them and so they showed it to them and they were like it's quite clear that you had something to do with this. I still understand what like what kind of people like they are like how old are they who are they like I just I can't get my head around it. I think one of them was 17 at the time that this happened um, and the rest of them were like 18, 19. It's just crazy. Like, they're barely older than children themselves and I just don't understand, like, why... I can't picture in my head the scenario in which, like, they go from taking advantage and stealing money off a vulnerable person, which in itself <laughs> is completely abhorrent, but to to like progressing to physical violence and killing someone like it's so hard to imagine the steps that took place there for that to happen like it's just I can't understand how you could possibly someone like who's defenseless and like we've heard really kind of incredibly friendly and yeah I don't know just and then just to go into like a police interview and not be showing like complete remorse I don't understand like it's crazy it would be mental enough to find one person who's so void of any morals but just to find five of them like you, I don't know I just can't, I expected maybe three of them to crack and like be crying mm-hmm. and then there to be like two ringleaders do you know what I mean like this just seems such mm-hmm. a insane dynamic for five young people yeah I get what you're saying completely I think ultimately they didn't view her as a person and so they mm. didn't view what they had done as being like the terrible crime that it is because they, they they didn't have any regard for Gemma whatsoever they had no respect for her they had no compassion towards her and so in their minds nobody else would either why should the police yeah. care that that she died you know what I mean why why should why should anyone care about it why should the world care and in their minds genuinely and really up and up to the trial and all the way through the trial it's the exact same pattern you can tell that they just really don't understand the gravity of what they've done because they disrespected Gemma so much because they had so little care for her they didn't understand how anyone else could yeah like just completely dehumanized her yeah it's yeah it's exactly that that's the word I was looking for yeah it is they they did dehuman they did dehumanise her. Like, they did not at all think that she was, like, a person worthy of anything. And yeah, especially like, felt and thought in the same way that everyone mm-hmm. else does. Yeah, yeah, completely. The group of five were all charged and they were remanded in custody pending their trial. Their trial date was set and on June 8th, 2011, the trial began at Warwick Crown Court. Each defendant pleaded not guilty. The details of what had happened to Gemma didn't emerge fully until this trial. 
this is what the court pieced together and what the jurors heard had happened to Gemma Hayter on Sunday the 9th of August 2010. The court heard how the group had been drinking at Chantal Booth's flat when they had invited Gemma over to join them. Instead of being welcomed by the group, they started abusing Gemma and this abuse quickly turned into what can only really be described as torture. Did they acknowledge like, at the trial why they'd invited her around? Presumably, I mean, it's clear to like you and I that they saw her, like you say, as some kind of entertainment. But I would just be curious as to how like, they justified it as part of their defence. No, so they didn't really offer up any kind of defence. Throughout the entire thing, their defence always was someone else did it, someone else did it. Like, it was never, none of them took any responsibility. We just happened to be beating her up beforehand. Yeah, they did, some of them, the thing was, some of them did admit to the stuff that, you know, I'm going to go into talk about. Some of them did mm. admit to what they'd done inside it. None of them admitted to the murder. Um, but yeah, it does honestly seem like just they all just like started they all just ganged up i don't know maybe it's because they were drinking or whatever not that that's obviously any defense it's like but a no. pack yeah. mentality though almost isn't it i think yeah, when you have that exactly many people that. you're just egging each other on and it feels like a safety in numbers and like diffused responsibility like none no one of them will have felt solely responsible and therefore i think because they could all share in that responsibility they were able to go like above and beyond what any human like alone would have done i think and like you say, plus alcohol into that mix. That that's incredibly interesting. I yeah, I like that phrase of diffused responsibility. I think that's that's bang on. I think that's exactly what it was. You are right. None of them would have taken any individual responsibility for what happened, and you know what I'm going to go on to say happened. Um, yeah, I definitely agree. I think it is just that they all felt kind of safe in the knowledge that they were all there and they were all doing it, and it wasn't just one of them. Yeah, like in it together. Mm-hmm. So the reports on what happened inside Chantel's flat vary and therefore I can't guarantee that everything I'm about to say happened in this order. But what we do know is that Gemma was hit across the face with a broom or a mop and it broke her nose so severely that the medical examiner said the bones in her nose were almost fully detached from her face. There was a large amount of blood in Chantel's flat, specifically a large pool by and on the radiator. The police forensic team said that the blood patterns were consistent with Gemma's head being bounced off of the radiator and then the pool of blood underneath it was consistent with Gemma being tied to it and her nose and head had bled into the puddle on the floor. Oh my god. Traces on Gemma's hands revealed that she had been tied up with duct tape at some point during the night so it's possible that they had taped her hands to the radiator. The court also heard testimony from Joe Boyer and Duncan Edwards that they had both urinated into a beer can and had forced Gemma to drink it. Just after midnight, the group of five told Gemma that they would walk her home. In fact, they walked her to her death. There is harrowing CCTV footage of this. I kind of mentioned it earlier. Uh, But in it, the five attackers, these five people who were meant to be Gemma's friends, can be seen on the footage walking ahead of her with their hoods up. Then, a couple of seconds later, Gemma walks into the camera's view. She's moving very slowly, clearly trying to keep up with her quote-unquote friends, but quite clearly in an enormous amount of pain. In some of the footage, you can see her bloody nose. Her family's last memory of Gemma is that CCTV footage of Gemma walking with people she trusted, thinking that she was going home. And I mentioned this earlier, but I just don't think I can put into words how devastating this footage is. She's so loyal to them, despite everything they've just done to her and Chantal's flight, all the horrible things that we've just heard, and I'm sure there was much more as well that they did do to her. 
but hours after you know they spent hours beating her up and then when she was out in public you know she didn't run she didn't shout for help she didn't try to get away she just followed them because she trusted and loved them so much and they completely betrayed like every bit of her love and trust it's awful i don't know what to say i think it's probably the most disgusting crime i've ever heard like honestly i just i can't fathom how you could just torture someone for a prolonged amount of time who like you say is just so like trusting of the world and vulnerable like what what pride is is there like in that do you know what i mean like if you're mm. got violent tendencies and are into sort of fight it's like that it sounds silly but like picking on someone your own size mm-hmm. like it's one thing to be kind of out on weekends getting drunk and having fights in pubs but to actively be like grooming someone into you know trusting you and being in your friendship only to like hurt them for your own entertainment I just can't imagine it and I just can't imagine how like what was she saying throughout that whole period how she was all things aside she was like a an adult and I know that she was like shorter than most people but uh, how many people did it take to restrain her to tie her up do you know what I mean stuff like that is just just makes me feel sick yeah, but that's what makes me feel so. That's what makes me feel so sad about this. It's like, cause, you, cause I, cause I don't know. Like all the interviews I've seen with her family and stuff is, like she was just so kind. She just took everything. It's like, mm. would she have been kicking up a fuss? Like, would she yeah, been trying to fight back? Like, probably not, because she just, yeah, she just loved them so much. Like she wouldn't have even thought and and the thing that really makes me so sad about this is she never had friends before this. I know. And how unlucky did she get that she met? these people like sort of so many nice people in the world and it just breaks your heart like what were the chances that she met five of the cruelest people I've ever heard about no I agree I completely agree and it's so hard as well is because she had never had that friendship before she'd never had these interpersonal relationships like this she had no idea that this wasn't okay it's the same thing with the money thing and being taken advantage of there you know she didn't know what friendship means she doesn't know what that is and it's just oh yeah it's really horrible it's just so so horrible so after the CCTV footage I just mentioned, you don't see Gemma on CCTV again. The court heard how Gemma was taken down to the disused railway embankment. Here, the group of five stripped her, they stabbed her, and then they beat her again. After this, they walked away and they left her there to die at the side of the road. The jury were told that Gemma was stabbed in the back of her neck. She had a bin liner over her face and she had a large boot print on her head. At 1.27am, the group of five are then seen on the same CCTV camera walking back, but this time Gemma was of course not with them. Daniel and Chantel are walking holding hands, some of them are texting and scrolling on their phones. None of them use their phones to call the police or an ambulance or to get help for Gemma, they just left her there. The main detective on the case described their behaviour as feral, and I think I completely agree and I know you probably Mm -hmm. do as well, Sal. Yeah, evil. Mm Mm-hmm. During the trial, the five defendants acted exactly how they had acted in custody. They were in the docks laughing and joking, passing notes to each other, swearing, shouting, speaking back to the judge and the barristers. They had zero respect for the legal proceedings, for the court, and definitely showed no respect to Gemma's family. They didn't once say they were sorry, and they didn't show any remorse at all. On the 12th of September 2011, the jurors returned their verdicts. They found 22-year-old Chantel Booth, 20-year-old Daniel Newstead, and 18-year-old Joe Boyer guilty of murder. 
They all, of course, received a life sentence, and Chantal was given a minimum term of 21 years, Daniel was given a 20-year minimum term, and Joe Boyle was given a 16-year minimum term. The other couple, Jessica Linus and Duncan Edwards, who were 19 and 20 years old, were both found guilty of manslaughter. Jessica was given a 13-year sentence, and Duncan was given 15 years. All five were also found guilty of assault occasioning actual bodily harm. So two questions there. Firstly, um, do we know why uh, half of them only got manslaughter? Because secondly, 13 years for that crime is disgusting. And I know it's a minimum term and I know they might not necessarily get released, but I just find the principle of it absolutely disgusting like I think you took someone's life in the cruelest cruelest way you possibly could have and I cannot begin to fathom how 13 years to if I was Gemma's family and I heard 13 years come out of a judge's mouth I would just be I don't even know what I'd feel just enraged like that is not even a gesture at the pain that they caused yeah I completely agree with you and I'm not 100% sure on this but I'm like 90% sure that the 13-year sentence and the 15-year sentence for Jessica and Duncan weren't minimum terms. I don't think they got a life sentence. I think that was just their sentence. Oh. I don't even... I just... You can't imagine that, can you? Like, 13 years, what? Yeah, no, I know. Well, exactly. Like, for, for what happened. I know, I completely agree. I think the manslaughter thing is, of course, just in relation to the levels of intent. And I guess, presumably, they had... um less to do with the actual murder i don't know i really i just don't buy that like they were in a like if they were either they either they knew that their friends frequently assaulted Gemma. um Mm -hmm. they were more than likely in a room watching her being tortured they 100 percent knew that she'd been left dead by a railway and Mm -hmm. were more than likely present for that murder if not knew that it had taken place like it's just very hard to my mind, to understand how you can possibly suggest that they had any less intent or, like, insufficient intent. Like, I know, obviously, I don't know anything about really how the legal system and sentencing works, but just as a layman, that just makes me so angry because I just think, what? Like, they had a million opportunities to save that girl's life and they didn't. Oh, I completely agree. And as someone who has more legal knowledge than you do, I think it's absolutely horrific to to be found guilty of murder you have to have in you have to have intent to want to kill that person or to cause them gbh i don't see how stabbing someone putting a bin liner over their head mm. kicking them in the head tying them to a radiator and bashing their head in that's all gbh so it's got to be something to do with something that we don't know something that they've said behind closed doors in which maybe they were witnesses maybe they had evidence or you know maybe something maybe the others deal or something say again i was thinking like maybe do you think maybe they made a deal but then obviously we know they didn't so no it could just be it could genuinely be down to something like the other three had said you know maybe like i did this and then she did that and then he did that and then duncan and jessica weren't in that i mean we do know yeah. that duncan made Gemma drink his urine he admitted to that and he testified that at court but i can only imagine it's just like a combination of all these stories and all these conversations about what's happening and they can see mm. somewhere but between there the that they didn't quite have the intent for that but i mean i don't buy it i don't think it's right um and i think i know it's not the way that the law works and it's very similar actually to what we spoke about 
last week with um, the Alison Baden Clay case. But it's like, you walked away from that. You were seen on CCTV camera with your phone. You didn't try to get her help. To me, I just can't believe that. You knew that she was going to die. You knew that you'd left her there to die. Like, you are on your phone. You cannot claim that you couldn't call any help because you could. Like, at that point, it's just so frustrating. Yeah, like, the absence of an action should be as punishable as an action in itself. Like, not calling for an ambulance should, to my mind, particularly in this case, given they were the perpetrator of the original violence, um, like, that should be equivalent. Do you know what I mean? To me. Yeah, completely. And I think, but I think that's obviously where the manslaughter thing comes into it. Mm. Um, so yeah, did that answer both your questions? I can't remember what your other question was. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Justice Rafferty, who was the judge in this case, she honestly became like my own personal hero after the complete dressing down she gave all five perpetrators. She spoke to them during the sentencing and she said, quote, I struggle to see how much lower you could have sunk. Gemma tagged along, battered, in pain, and unsuspecting like a faithful, loving dog as you walked her to her death. Then, turning to Chantel, Lady Justice Rafferty said, What a nasty piece of work you are. You treated Gemma like a toy to be picked up and put down, dependent, I suspect, on whether there was a gap in your miserable life which she could fill. You have no conscience, you cared not a jot for anyone but yourself. You told a probation officer that Gemma was your best friend. You are a scheming, manipulative, ruthless woman who loses her temper when things do not go your own way. Following this, she addressed Jessica Linus and Chantal Booth together. Both girls had babies who had been put into the care system. Lady Justice Rafferty told the girls that their children were being put into care, quote, to be protected from you as the state picks up the pieces of your fecklessness. Gemma's family reported that this was the only time during the entire trial that the group had been quiet, and it seemed that they'd finally understood the gravity of what they had done. Gemma's family really felt that the killers believed that they would be let go after the trial, and that the time that they'd spent in custody was kind of all the time that they were going to serve. And when they were each sentenced, it was probably only then that they truly understood that Gemma was a real person, someone that the world cared about, you know, the stuff that we were talking about earlier. She wasn't disposable as they treated her. Mm. She was cared for and now they would be paying the price for so cruelly taking her life away. So Neil, Gemma's brother, said that he doesn't feel like justice has been done in this case. He said that they all get to eat and breathe and have birthdays, but that Gemma will never get that again. And I can really understand why he feels that way. Yeah, I completely agree. And her family never, ever get to move on from those lasting memories, from that CCTV footage, from Mm -hmm. the words they heard uh, in that court hearing. They will never, ever not close their eyes, probably, and imagine what that last day of Gemma's life was like. And I just don't think that the punishments handed out in this case even came close to acknowledging the severity of what happened to her and yeah I can't imagine how they must feel I think so little justice has been served here no I agree so following the murder investigation into Gemma Hater the Hampshire Safeguarding Adults Board did an investigation into Warwickshire Safeguarding Adults Department and the findings from their case review were published I will link the report in the description box if you want to read it. However, the key findings basically found that there was no evidence that it was known or suspected that any of the five perpetrators presented a serious risk of harm to Gemma or other vulnerable adults. 
the report does recognise that the adult safeguarding process and threshold of significant harm relies on the presence of a single large trigger. And because of this, the safeguarding process fails to identify people at risk in the community where evidence is through a larger number of low-level triggers, as was the case for Gemma. The report also stated that no single agency had a full picture of what was happening in Gemma's life, and there were a number of missed opportunities for initiating safeguarding procedures. The kind of overall finding, though, was that they felt that there was no evidence that Gemma's murder could have been predicted or prevented, but if she, quote, had received and accepted better support, she may have lived a better life and been less likely to fall into the company of people who presented her with serious risks. Mm. It's so hard, like, people, those, like, multiple agencies that would have been involved, they can't predict stuff like this, like, as the report points out. Um, And I mean hindsight I imagine would be very painful for a lot of people in this case like they will wonder if actually they should have checked on her more they should have engaged but actually you know she was a a high functioning adult in many respects and as her family said they can't question every single friendship and it's it would have felt wrong and probably cynical for them to do so like that's not to say I bet they wish they did looking back um but it is it is really difficult and it's hard to kind of look and think, yeah, what would you have done? You know, if, if Gemma, she doesn't sound like someone who would have said that her friends were horrible. You know, she, as we've heard, looked up and adored these people, even though they were the very worst kind of person. So it would be extremely hard, wouldn't it, to, if you've got the person you're trying to safeguard saying, you know, they're fine, they're my friends. It's very hard to do anything about that. But God, it just oh, it just makes you so angry, doesn't it? I, I just don't think there's any words for this case apart from the fact that she deserved so much better from the world. Yeah, she did. I think I think I agree. It's it's so so difficult to listen to. It was really difficult to research. I think ultimately there should have been more take homes from it though. Like Gemma was never given a formal diagnosis for her behavioral problems that's all they ever were called she was never given a formal diagnosis and I think a formal diagnosis would have helped her you know if she had a diagnosis for her disability then she would have got better support from the authorities because they would have known that she had these disabilities when it's just down as just having behavioral problems it caused a huge issue for Sue to try and get help for Gemma Um, and Gemma herself I think even reached out to the authorities I think she wrote them a letter and she'd said in it that she wanted to help to find a job um but that she also wanted someone who was there to be able to give her support and if she needed someone to come around and help her and things like that but again the authorities didn't provide her kind of with the assistance and support that she was asking for i'm not blaming the authorities i'm not saying that they were to know that this was going on but it's hard isn't it because with hindsight you do look back and you do wonder well if there had been someone who was going to her house or her flat you know, once a week just to help her with like menial tasks? Would they have noticed things? Would they have been able to talk to her about things? Would she have been more open with them? Because obviously she she didn't want to be that open with her family. I mean, like I said, I'm looking back on this with hindsight, but it's, I think it's difficult. And I think it was difficult for Sue, especially because she, you know, she said like she spent half her adult life trying to help find assistance and support for Gemma. And she never got that. Mm. 
Yeah, it is it is extremely difficult and yeah, I don't doubt that there probably was additional support that maybe could have been put in place, but I think for me it's just difficult having heard that yeah, like Gemma struggled to be honest, like with her family and things. Yeah. If you if and she obviously wanted to be independent and like assimilated into the local community. Is you know, it's very hard to vet the people that are interacting with her on a day to day basis and I think that's the I absolutely agree there needs to be take homes and I'm sure that for the agencies who did and the people that worked on Gemma's case and knew Gemma like my god I'm sure there have been take homes I'm sure those people will always be so much more vigilant at their jobs Mm -hmm. and push that a little bit harder and not take Mm -hmm. no for an answer like there's absolutely no way that people haven't learned from this I agree with you it'd be nice if there was more like formal learnings um but it is very difficult to try and like imagine in some ways like what they would look like in terms of like policy and things because actually you know you can't vet every person that you you know a vulnerable adult interacts with as much as you may like to short of having like full-time care that's a very difficult thing to do like and you just have to I don't know you just hope that the world isn't such a scummy place don't you like that yeah that actually you want to believe it's better and obviously that isn't how care should work like on the assumption that everything's rosy but it's very hard to try and prepare for such a horribly horribly dark thought you know what I mean like I think everyone Mm. understands that exploitation and that vulnerable people you know everyone acknowledges they're vulnerable and therefore more likely to have very kind of unkind people and evil people in this case like try to interact with them um but equally it's probably you know it's so rare probably that it is to this extent at least mm-hmm. you bloody hope it is rare yeah yeah i agree with that i agree with that it's so awful isn't it it's just so awful that this is even something that people need to even think about that they need to create yeah. these policies and procedures for or whatever yeah so Sue Prince, Gemma's mother, um, now goes to schools and centres to speak to people about her experience of being a mother of someone who was murdered as a result of a hate crime. She works with charities and organisations to give presentations and speeches on hate crime. God. With her overriding message being, being you is not a crime, hate crime is a crime. Yeah. Thank you everyone so much for listening to today's episode. Um, Sorry it was quite a difficult one, but we do think it was an important one. Yeah, I think it's a really important one. And I just want to say that I think we all have a responsibility to call other people out on their behaviours. And I think that in this case, obviously these were five people who encouraged each other, but actually every single one of those five had other friends who probably would have been aware of their relationship with Gemma. And I'm not saying it's necessarily the fault of those people, but I just think they had a responsibility to call their friends out on it. They could have probably even reported the Mm -hmm. friendship or the relationship as being like unhealthy or potentially dangerous um, Mm -hmm. to Gemma. And I just think all of us, we we have a responsibility to those that we interact with regularly to actually say you know is the way they're behaving like appropriate are they are they taking advantage of people and I don't know I think it's like this it's the little thing you can probably do after listening to something like this mm-hmm. is check yourself isn't it I completely agree completely agree all right thank you so much guys for listening we'll see you next week bye bye <laughs>